Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We interrupt this broadcast. Have you ever heard that before? You're watching a television show or maybe a sporting event right there toward the end, the fourth quarter. Who's going to win? And then we interrupt this broadcast. When that happens, it's because there's something really important that they want us to know about or there's some breaking news. And so it's, it's something that's so important that they interrupt all previously scheduled programming or broadcasting. I remember, one of the first times I remember that happening was uh, uh, during the O.J. Simpson car chase. Any of you old enough like me to remember O.J. Simpson down here in Southern California? I was at my first job, and it was at the Westmont Retirement Center in Santa Clara, California, and I was the server in their dining room there for this, this retirement, uh, not, a, not a rest home, but a retirement home where they live, and they would come down to the dining room each day, and I remember in my break watching O.J. Simpson. They had interrupted him. Pretty much any channel you turned to, you were going to find the O.J. Simpson chase. I remember the same thing, 9-11. We interrupt this broadcast, and you couldn't turn to a channel. It didn't matter what channel you were trying to watch. They were going to be giving you news about 9-11. Most recently, just in the last couple of months, um, during the, all of the rioting and some of the protests and the looting, it didn't matter what channel you turned to, you were probably going to. I remember coming home from church on a Sunday night a month or two ago and seeing uh, just right near us Long Beach and seeing those stores and things being set on fire and whatever channel you turned to, they had interrupted their previously scheduled programming to bring that breaking news story. Well, as Luke is writing the book of Acts, where we find ourselves today, going verse by verse in our 33rd message through this, these first 11, uh, 12 chapters, Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he's, where we've been for the last seven Sundays, Luke is explaining how the gospel is going forth in unprecedented ways to the Gentile people, those that were not Jews. And so we, we saw the Roman centurion, the soldier Cornelius, and, and Peter brings and preaches the gospel there. And, and then we saw last week, the last couple of weeks, the church at Antioch, and amazing things are happening there. Many people are getting saved. And Luke is telling the story of, of how the gospel is going to the Gentiles. And really, the rest of the book of Acts primarily is going to be about that story how the gospel is going to, to the uttermost part of the earth, to all of these Gentile nations. Jerusalem, the capital there of Israel, where the gospel, kind of that headquarters of it, where it kind of started there after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then from Jerusalem, where the gospel went to Jews only for a few years, primarily, then all of a sudden, about a decade later, what we've been studying, the gospel is now going forth, not just to the Jews. And aren't you glad that the gospel is for everyone? The gospel breaks down every political divide, it breaks down every social divide, it breaks down every cultural divide, it, it surpasses every racial divide. The gospel is for all people. But it's like, and so the rest of the book is going to be about a lot about Paul's missionary journeys. The, most of the rest of the book is going to be about the apostle Paul and his missionary journeys, and Paul was that, that apostle to the Gentiles. But Luke 12 is kind of like, we interrupt this broadcast. 
We're telling this story, this breaking news that the gospel is going to the Gentiles, but for a chapter, we're going to jump back to Jerusalem here for a minute. And it's almost, I don't know all the reasons, but it's almost like the writer Luke, as he's writing Acts, is reminding us that, that God still cares for the Jewish uh, believers and God still cares for the Jewish church and God still wants us to know some of the things that are happening there. And so Luke in chapter 12, we, we went from last week, finishing up in, in Acts 11, um, being in Antioch, we're moving back to Jerusalem now. We interrupt this broadcast about the gospel going forth to the Gentiles to tell you a pretty amazing story about some things happening in Jerusalem. I believe that we'll be here uh, in this chapter for the next two Sundays. I believe we'll, we'll spend three Sunday mornings, maybe four, in this chapter. I'm very excited about this morning's message. I have to be honest with you. I, I had, one of the reasons I broke it up is because there's so much in here. I was going to try to give it all to you this morning. And, I, and, and as a, sometimes as a pastor, you try to give too much and people don't get anything. And so we're breaking it down. I'll be honest, I'm really excited about next Sunday morning. Now, I'm excited about this one too. Don't get me wrong. It's good truth. But I'm really excited about where God has us in this chapter and the truths that we're going to learn this morning. I'm going to walk us through the story. The, the way I'm going to do it this morning, I'm going to walk us through the first 17 verses and really lay the foundation, explain the context of the characters and the story, what's happening. And then we'll have some applications at the end of the message. I'll give us a few applications. But with that foundation, then, we'll be able to move right in the next Sunday or two uh, into, into some further truths from this passage. The title of the message this morning is Be Encouraged. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Acts in chapter number 12. If, you're, if, you're, if you have a tablet or a phone and you have an, a Bible app on there, I'd encourage you to follow along. Generally, before the shutdown and the virus, we have Bibles in the pews that you can use. We're trying to eliminate surfaces that multiple people are touching, and so we don't have those there. But pretty much every Sunday since I've been the pastor, I almost always say I encourage you to follow along in the Bible as we go through here. Here's the reason. Because if there's any power in anything that I say today, it's going to be because of the power of God's word. So every Sunday, I do my very best to, to do God's word justice and to let God's word speak for itself, giving, and I study, and it doesn't mean I don't ever tell a story or an illustration or application, but the power is found in God's word, and I just personally believe you'll get more out of the message if you see God's word for yourself, especially as we're going to be going through 17 verses this morning. And that's, that's true for any, if you're visiting from out of town or from wherever you're at, any church that you're at, if there's any power, it's not in the pastor's personality or his opinions or his philosophies or his traditions. The power is in the Word of God. If you're following along on, on, a, on an, a device, number one, you're a better person than me. I get really distracted on my phone in church. And so uh, maybe airplane mode or whatever, I, I go check text messages and emails. And so I, I, bring my, I have to bring a physical Bible because I have ADD. And so if I'm sitting there listening to someone, I'll, I'll get distracted. But if you're following along, we will be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, I'd encourage you to download a Bible app and, uh, and follow along as we go through this with us. But the title today is Be Encouraged. Is that the message if we were to go to any of the major news networks right now? If we were to jump on any, any news websites... Do you think we're going to walk away encouraged? Most social media content, are we going to walk away encouraged? But there's some things here that I think 
And it's amazing how God's word that was written uh, thousands of years ago, how God's word is still so unbelievably applicable and relevant to us today. How it speaks right where we're at in the midst of the virus and, and, and the division in our nation and the upcoming elections and all of those things that, that kind of take our attention and, and sometimes grip us with fear and other times with anger and other times with frustration and other times with hopelessness. And God's word speaks to every one of those emotions. It speaks to every one of those feelings that we find ourselves in. So we're going to pick it up in Acts in chapter number 12 by way of introduction. Let's begin in verse number 1. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 12, verse number 1, the first four words, what does it say there, church? Now about that what? About that? Now about that time. So we need to understand when the Bible was written, it was not written with chapter and verse divisions. And so we pick it up in, in chapter 12, verse 1, but it's a continuation. So about that time, about what time? About the time that we just read last week where the believers were up there in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas were there, they heard there was going to be a great famine in the land, and so these Gentile believers, this Antioch church, took up a great offering to send down to the Jewish believers. The ones that had kind of been the mother church, if you will, the ones that had sent out people, the disciples, to spread the gospel, are now the ones in need. And the church plant, the newer church, the newer believers, they're taking up the offering to help the more established church and the more established Christians. And we saw that at the end of, verse, of, of Acts 11. They sent that in verse 29. The disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. And so they took up an offering and helped some believers that were struggling. And, uh, and then we see in Acts 12, verse 1, now about that time... What's the next, what's the name of the person, the king there? About that time, who? Herod. Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. As you'll read God's word, sometimes it can, can, can get confusing. Herod, you'll see the name Herod, and there are multiple Herods. Uh, there is Herod the Great. That was the one that was the Herod that made the decree to put all of the babies to death when Jesus was born. You remember that story? Herod the Great. This Herod, this is Herod Agrippa I. This is Herod the Great's grandson. So you have Herod the Great. And then he had a son, uh, just to give you an idea. And then you have Herod Agrippa I. There's another Herod, Herod Antipas, that was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. You remember there was a Herod when John the Baptist got his head cut off? That was, that was this Herod's uncle. So this is a pretty, this, he has a pretty rough family history. Uh, and, and, and he has a pretty checkered past himself. He had been brought up after his dad, and so his dad, I didn't mention this part to you. This Herod, Herod Agrippa I, his dad had been murdered by his grandpa. So Herod the Great killed his own son. And he had gone, he had been, uh, he was being brought up in Rome. In Rome, he, had, he was kind of a, uh, he, was, he was a guy that got into a lot of stuff. He racked up a bunch of debts. He ended up in jail. This Herod ended up in jail for a time until Tiberius died. Then he got out of jail. And, and this guy was just a self-seeker, a politician, whatever was good for him. And so when he was with the Romans, he would do what would make the Romans happy. When he was with the Jews, he wanted to make the Jews happy. Whatever he could do politically, it didn't matter. He had no concern for innocent life. Whatever he could do politically to further his agenda, he was willing to do it. And it seems that at times, politicians in America sometimes have kind of that same, what a, I don't care what lives it affects, whatever I can do to further my agenda. That's, that's part of human nature. But this was, this Herod, about that time, Herod, this is Herod the Great's grandson, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. 
Verse 2, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. There are a couple different James here in the early church, and so they tell us which one this is. This is Peter, James, and John, the inner three, the ones that were in the Garden of Gethsemane. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, they were called. That's who this is. And what we see here in the church at Jerusalem, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands and killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Killing with the sword probably suggests a beheading, which was a punishment for murderers, for infidels. And so Herod trying to, because again, remember, the Jews did not like the Christians. The Jews were the ones that put Jesus to death. Christians were bad for business at the temple, at the synagogue. Christians were bad for business for the, the Orthodox Jews there in Jerusalem at that time. They didn't want anything to do with them. So Herod, who is that Roman leader, he's there in, 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 in Jerusalem and Judea in that area there. He says, you know what? I, I need to gain some political favor. I'm going to put one of those guys to death. And so he, he kills James, the brother of John, with the sword. This is the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred for their faith. We have another disciple that's already died. That was Judas, but he died by suicide. He killed himself. This is the first one, James, to be martyred. Now, Stephen was the first martyr, but he was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not one of the 12 apostles that followed Jesus. The first one of the 12 disciples to be martyred here is James, the brother of John. I want you to hold your hand here, if you will, in Acts 12. This is the only place we'll turn. I want you to go over to Matthew chapter number 20. I want you to see an interesting passage. Matthew chapter number 20, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew in chapter number 20, beginning in verse number 20. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse number 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. The mother of Zebedee's children, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were brothers, two of the 12 uh, apostles of Christ. Verse number 12, and he said, Jesus said unto her, what wilt thou, what do you, what do you want? She came and said, there's something I really want for my boys. She saith unto him, to Jesus, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Notice this, verse number 22. But Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? She comes, and again, we understand, even when Jesus walked this earth, his disciples were often confused about his purpose for being here, about how it was all going to end. The, the Jews and their Messiah, they were looking for a political savior. Jesus was not a political savior. Jesus was a spiritual savior. And again, by the way, if we're not careful as Christians, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, but sometimes I think even in 2020, we're looking for a political savior to solve all of our spiritual problems. In 2020, the need is is not a political savior the need is jesus messiah that spiritual savior i'm not saying we don't vote according to biblical principles i'm not saying we don't vote for righteousness i'm not saying christians shouldn't be salt and light i'm not saying christians shouldn't be politicians i'm not saying any of those things what i'm saying is be careful where your hope is because you can walk with jesus every day and still not understand what it means to truly live for jesus we see that here with james and john he said to them, she said, I've got this one thing I want from you. And he said, she said, Jesus said, what is it? He said, well, I, I kind of, can you make it so that 
When you set up your kingdom, she's thinking political kingdom to overtake in Jerusalem. Can James sit on your right hand and can John sit on your left? We, we don't have time to read it. You can go back and read it later in Matthew 20. But all the other disciples didn't like that. Who does she think she is? Who do James and John think they are? They get to sit on the right hand and the left, and they were all fighting. And Jesus is basically like, none of you guys understand what's happening. All of you guys, none of you are sitting on my right hand or my left. We're, we're not going to be getting into political power. We're going to be dying for our faith. And that's what Jesus says. He says to them, do you, can, are you able, in verse 22, to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Notice what they said, verse 22. They say unto him, we are able. Notice verse 23. And he saith unto them, you shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Jesus said, you're going to die like I died. You're going to drink of the cup. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? What did he say? Let this cup pass from me. He didn't, want to, he didn't come to die in the garden. He came to die on the cross. You're going to drink of my cup and be baptized with my baptism. You don't understand what that means right now, but that is what's going to happen. And now, isn't it interesting? By the way, before we get too hard on James and John for not understanding, they, he, they both did end up following Jesus to death. James would be the first one martyred. John would be the, first, the last one to die. He would live a ripe old age into his 90s probably. And he would live for, he would be the last disciple left. These two brothers, one died on the front end of the 12, the other died on the back end of the 12. But both of them did stay faithful to Jesus unto death, and they did drink of the cup that Jesus drank of. And so, uh, praise the Lord for that. We see in chapter, back to Acts chapter 12, continuing on, Acts 12, verse 3. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, because it was good for his poll numbers, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Peter was always kind of the forefront, the loud one, the, the, the figurehead, the one that preached Pentecost. So he thought, if I can, okay, I, I don't know, but maybe James was kind of a quieter one you don't really hear a lot about. Maybe he said, let's try this one. Let's put him to death and see what the crowd thinks. And they liked it. He said, okay, it's time for Peter. Let's go cut the, the head of the snake off. Let's go find Peter. And so he brings Peter in. He proceeded to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. This is around the feast of the Passover. Passover is that time, and I, we're getting where we're going, but for us to understand, I think, the whole thing over the next couple of weeks, I want us to have a, a good grasp of this passage. Passover was that, is that time when the Jews celebrate the Passover lamb. They celebrate when God delivered them out of Egypt. When Moses, the deliverer, took them all out and they got out of Egypt as they applied the blood of the Passover lamb on their doors. So every year they would come back for that Passover celebration, the days of unleavened bread, all of these feasts, all of this stuff. They would come back and during this time, executions and trials could not take place during this time. You remember they had to wait with Jesus. They couldn't at night. They couldn't have his trial. They had to wait for these different things. During this time, uh, you could not execute someone, and so they had to wait until the days of unleavened bread. Verse 4, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions. That's just four different groups of four. So there are 16 soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And so, so he has four groups of four soldiers. The Roman soldier had a three-hour shift, and so there would be four soldiers watching him three hours at a time. Two, I believe, watching at the door, and then we'll see in a minute, two that were literally chained to Peter. 
Maybe because they had heard about the prison escape back a, a few chapters ago when all the disciples were in prison and then they all got delivered. They said, we're not losing them this time. The standard thing was to chain the prisoner to one soldier. They chained him to two. We're not letting Peter out. We've got two guard in the door, we've got gates, we've got all these things, and we've got two soldiers chained to Peter. Notice verse number five. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. This is not my message, and my message won't be very long once we get through these verses, but I want to stop and say this to us, because I think it does apply to where we are today. All throughout the book of Acts, the Christian's response to persecution was prayer and preaching the gospel. I'm not saying there is not a time to stand up and, and even to fight for our freedom, to defend our faith, to defend our nation. I'm not a pacifist. I'm not saying that. But I think we do need to consider very carefully the truths of Scripture, that every time the church was persecuted, it was, the answer was not, let's, let's have a political revolution. The answer was not, let's go out there and, and, and have this certain post. And the answer was not, let's do these things. Every time they were persecuted there and, and they received opposition, their response was prayer and preaching the gospel. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, notice verse 5, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The first thing they did was not plan a human solution, was not start a political re re uh, revolution, was not post on social media about how much they hated Herod and all of his soldiers. We never see the early church responding that way. The way they responded was they went to God in prayer and they went to others with the gospel. And I think that's a great reminder for all of us. Herod attacked with the sword. Man attacks with man's weapons. The early church attacked with prayer. God's people should attack with spiritual weapons, if you will. Verse number six, the Bible says, and when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. We'll get into that next week. Bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. Aren't you glad we still have a God who can break our chains and can deliver us from our bondage? But what we see here, I think I have a good picture of what it was like with Peter in jail there because I have three teenage children trying to wake them up, I think was like the angel trying to wake up Peter. Peter is sound asleep. The angel comes. There's a light that shines. The light fills the room. Peter keeps snoring. It literally says the angel smote him on the side. You ever have to do that to one of your kids to get them up? Shake them, pour water on them, start, you know, turn the lights on and off. This is what the angel's trying to do. Get this kid up. Wake up. It's time to go. We got to go to school. We got to get you there. It's time for church. How many of you had a hard time getting somebody out of bed this morning? You, can, you don't have to raise your hand. But, but we see here Peter trying to get him up, and he smote him on the side. He raised him up. He said, Peter, get up. Let's go. Verse number 8. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. Again, it sounds like me and my wife trying to get our kids ready in the morning. Get up, put your shoes on, let's go. And so he did. And he saith unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. It's like the angel, Peter is, and we know that in a minute we're going to see Peter's really groggy. And, and he has to tell him everything. Peter, put your shoes on. Peter, put your coat on. So we've got Peter with shoes on the wrong feet. His, his coat is inside out. His hair is uncombed. He's looking for the Keurig. He needs a cup of coffee. And he's up trying to figure out where he's going. How many of you cannot operate until you have that first cup of coffee? 
Anybody like that? We've got a few in here. I think there's more of you that didn't raise your hand. Verse number nine. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true what was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. What does that mean? He thought he was dreaming. He had already dreamed. Remember the, the, the vision of the sheets we saw in, in Joppa when Cornelius came? When he went to Cornelius, remember that? He's like, what am I dreaming about? I'm, I'm dying tomorrow. Tomorrow's my execution. And I just dreamed that an angel got me up and, and he's walking. He's just kind of sleepwalking. And he, said, literally, he didn't realize in verse 9, he followed him, but he didn't realize it was true. He didn't realize he had actually gotten out. He thought he saw a vision. He thought he was, he was dreaming. Verse 10. When they were past the first and second war, they went past the first guard, the second guard, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. That's a cool word, his own accord. In the Greek, that's the word automatos. It's where we get our word automate. It's, it's the word of automatically. And so it was like when we go to the store, you know, you go to the grocery store and those doors open. We're used to that. But can you imagine, you've never seen an automatic door. You've never seen an automatic gate. And Peter walks up, and this gate just opens of its own accord. It automatically opens, verse 10. They, uh, they, it opened to them its own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. So what do we see here? We see Peter. He's there. He's out in the street. Now the angel's gone. He's just escaped death row. Standing in the middle of the street, half awake, boogers in his eyes, looking for the nearest Starbucks, doesn't know what to do. He's there. He doesn't know what's happening. And I think even with that automatic door opening, despite all the power of Herod with four soldiers, with, with two chained to him, with, with gates that were closed, God is reminding the disciples it is the throne in heaven that is in control, not the thrones on earth. And again, I think we need to be reminded of that in 2020. It is the throne in heaven that is in control, not the thrones of earth. And God can use all of those things in our lives. Verse number 11 and when Peter was come to himself, when he finally woke up enough to realize where he was, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Everybody expected Peter to be getting put to death tomorrow. He said, God went against all expectation. Everything people thought was going to happen, God did the opposite. What Herod thought he could do, God is stronger than Herod. God is stronger than popular opinion. God is stronger than expectation. God, God did this. I know for sure God delivered me. Verse 12. Verse 12, and when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. This is not James' brother John, this is John Mark. Where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood at the gate. Get the picture. Peter goes to sleep. Two guards chained to him. This is his last night on earth. James has already been killed. Peter's next. He's dying tomorrow. All of a sudden, angel wakes him up, hits him on the side. Get up, Peter. It's time to go. Chains are off. He looks. There's two sleeping soldiers. He maybe starts walking. No, Peter, get your shoes on. Starts walking. No, Peter, get your coat on. Peter. And Peter's like, this is a weird dream. Gets out past the first ward, the second ward. The gate opens automatically. Angel leaves. This is not a dream. I'm awake. I What's going on? And looks back at the jail. He runs over. Runs. Can you imagine the adrenaline? You just escaped death row. I mean, we're not talking about he might die. James just died. 
from the same people in the same place. He runs to the house where he believed they would be, and they were there, middle of the night, praying day and night. They were praying fervently for him. And he gets there, and he knocks on the gate. And maybe Rhoda, we don't know, maybe she was kind of watching guard. She was there. And Rhoda, Peter says, let me in, let me in, let me in. And she hears the voice. She says, I know that voice. That's Peter. That's we were just praying for Peter. God did it. It's Peter. She runs back. She's so excited. She doesn't open the door to let Peter in. Peter is an escaped death row convict standing out here in the street looking around thinking any minute they're going to figure out I'm gone and they're going to come get me. And she just left, let me in. And she's there and she runs back in. And all of these spiritual leaders, all of these apostles, all these disciples are gathered together praying, God, would you please deliver Peter? God, comfort Peter. God, would you help and be with John? I know he's still grieving over his brother James that died. Lord, would you please, maybe you'll let Peter preach the gospel one last time before he dies, and maybe he can be a witness to those prison guards, and God, would you strengthen us? You know it's going to be hard without Peter, and, and, and Lord, we love Peter, and he's been used in so many amazing ways. God, we don't know, but we know you can do it. We don't know if you will, and I, I don't know all that they're praying, but I have to imagine stuff like that. And here comes Rhoda. Hey, guys, you don't need to pray anymore. He's here. Notice what it says. Verse number 15. Oh, no, no, verse number 14. Uh, yeah, verse 15. She ran in, verse 14, and told how Peter stood before the gate. She ran in and said, Peter's right out there. Verse 15, notice what their response was. And they said unto her, what are the next three words, church? Thou art what? You're crazy. Peter's not out there. Peter's in prison. There's no way Peter's out there. You, you, you've been up too long. You, I don't know what you had for dinner last night. You're hearing things. He's not out. You're crazy. Notice what it says. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Oh, I promise it's Peter. I saw it was Peter. I know it was Peter. I heard him. I heard his voice. And then they said, then said they, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were amazed. They were, they were dumbfounded. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Here's, here's what happens. So they say it's not him. And now they start having theological discussions. Peter's still out there. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's his angel. It's, maybe his guardian angel. And, and maybe he's there and they're talking about. And they believed and the Bible teaches that angels exist. And they, they believe that not necessarily the ones we see on cartoons with wings and halos. That's not anywhere in the Bible. But, but we see. That, and maybe it's Peter's angel. And, and so that's probably what it is. And would you just go look? And so finally they go, Peter! And Peter, shh. Keep it down. That's what he said. With his hand, would you be quiet? I don't need, don't wake up the neighborhood. They, they can't believe it. Peter's here. Peter says, I want you to go tell James, not the one that just died. This is James, the writer of James, the half-brother of Jesus, one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. Go tell James what happened. I got to get out of here. And Peter goes to another place. Peter isn't going to be found where they're all found. And we see this story. And it's an awesome story, isn't it? But I don't want the incredible, before we get, and I, we're going to be, I'm going to give you a few thoughts to take away of be encouraged. I don't want the incredible ending of this story to overshadow the second verse of this story. And we're going to look at the rest of the verses, the incredible ending. But first, I'm going to give you four reasons in 2020 to be encouraged from this chapter right here. Number one, I want you to be encouraged because God is never surprised by our heartaches. God is never surprised by our heartaches. Would you notice in verse number two? 
We like the Peter escaped from death row story. We like the Rhoda came out. We like, that, we like the chains broke. We like that he had to, his shoes were on the wrong feet. That's my addition. That's not in there. But we like all of the, that story. But don't forget, in the same story, Luke reminded us in verse 2, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. May I just remind you, I think this story reminds us, the king, King Jesus, the king was in charge when James was killed, just as he was when Peter was delivered. The king was, was omniscient and omnipotent. He, he, was, he was omnipresent. The king was not, when Peter was delivered, and we like we like the happy endings. We like the, the fairy tale, the, the happily ever after. We like those things. But sometimes following God turns out like James. But we're reminded that God is never surprised by our heartache. Sometimes the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer, at least for a season. We love the answered prayer that leads to angels appearing and gates automatically opening and prisons being escaped. It's awesome to give glory to God for those, but it seems like a really bad thing that James was martyred, doesn't it? It was God surprised by that? Did God fall asleep and forget about James and remember Peter? Was, was one of the most heartbreaking events in the early church a mistake or a mess up by God? I took you to Matthew 20 for a reason. It was to tell you that Jesus, while he walked on this earth, he promised James, you're going to drink of my cup. By the way, Peter is also going to drink of that cup, just not yet. And, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful in our lives, we allow the, the prosperity gospel. We've had a very comfortable Christianity in America for, for centuries now, and we allow that to make us think that anything that goes wrong, God must have messed up. Anything, and it's not not wrong in his sight, but anything that doesn't happen the way we want it and the prayer doesn't get answered the way we hoped it would and the news we didn't like, God must have done me wrong. God didn't do anyone wrong in this story and yet we still see James was killed by the sword. What is your great, greatest disappointment or heartache? God was not surprised by that. What is your greatest fear right now in living in America? I don't know what it's going to look like and how it's going to work and, and the job situation and finances and physical and spiritual and this and marriage and whatever it might be. God is not, never surprised by our heartaches. Be encouraged. We saw in Matthew 20, Jesus told James, if you really want to follow me, this is what it means. John would end up being the last disciple to, to die. He would live a long, fruitful life. James was the first one. Peter was delivered from death row. And God was in control in every one of those situations. I think we just need to be reminded, church, a biblical worldview, a biblical mindset, a biblical mentality, God is not surprised by the virus. God is not surprised by the shutdown. God is not surprised by the division in our country. I'm not saying God is pleased by that, but God is not surprised by that. God is not surprised by the evil in our world. He told us that in the last days, perilous times would come. So why do we as his children, why do we wring our hands and live in fear and doubt his power? Uh, be encouraged. God is never surprised by our heartaches. Along the same lines, number two, be encouraged that God sees our trials. He sees your trials. Did God know where Peter was when it was time to deliver him? Did he know which jail? Yes or no, church? Did he know which cell? Yes or no, church? Did he know which were the right chains to take off? Yes or no, church? God sees your trials. The Bible says if a sparrow can't fall to the ground without him noticing, how much more 
does he know you? And that song, his eye is on the sparrow. Job said it this way. He knoweth the way that I take, and when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. He knows the way that I take. I've heard pastors say it this way. All of our fiery trials are Father-filtered. He sees your trial. There's nothing that touches us that does not first pass through the loving hands of our Father. And there are things on this earth that seem like they don't make sense. But if we believe that God is in control, that he is good and he's always good, that he is sovereign, that he is providential, that he is all-powerful, there is nothing that comes that he does not see and that surprises him that chorus he cares for you he cares for you he ever loves and cares for you he'll do what no one else can do for Jesus cares for you what about that verse that says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we yet without sin let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may be able to find help obtain mercy in our time of need what does it say he knows what you're going through he sees your trial he's not surprised he told James long ago you're gonna drink of this cup he he wasn't surprised by the death of James. He wasn't surprised by the imprisonment of Peter. He knew where he was. He chose to deliver one. Actually, he chose to deliver them both just at different times. He delivered James to an eternal peace, an, an eternal victory a little earlier than Peter. Sometimes we view Peter getting out of it. God delivered Peter to a whole bunch more trouble. Now he used him for a whole bunch more good things. But James got delivered by God just as mightily and miraculously as Peter did. He took him to heaven for all eternity. When we have that perspective, it changes things. We don't have a high priest that can't be touched by our pain. He's, he's, he's been there. He sees it. He knows it. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. Isaiah 59, his hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Be encouraged. He sees our trials. Number three, be encouraged. God hears our prayers. The old Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson, said of this story, he said, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. He hears our prayers. God made it clear. Peter got to prison. They began to make prayer without ceasing unto God for him. God hears prayer. God answers prayer. As a church, as a Christian, is prayer your steering wheel or is prayer your spare tire? F.B. Meyer said the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayers, but rather unoffered prayers. Often, prayer is the last resort of the Christian. Let me try this, and let me try that, and let me, let me put in that application, and let me fill out that paperwork, and let me go to that agency, and let me talk to that person in control there, and that person in power there. Let me try everything I can. Let me exhaust all of my network. And if I can't fix it, okay, God, I guess I need you now. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. It should be our first priority. But I'm so convicted I pray so little compared to what I should. We would run to him less, it's been said, if we walked with him more. We ought to pray. A.C. Dixon said, when we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what only God can do. It has been wisely said, the only place that power ever came before prayer is in the dictionary. How are we doing, Christians, in prayer? 
Well, I've got this struggle. I've got this problem. I've got to, I've got to sign that, and I've got to go there, and I've got to fill out that paperwork, and I've got to get on this, this commission, and I've got to get on this committee, and I've got to, and again, I'm not saying not to be involved in our community. I'm not saying none of us can be on a committee. I'm not saying that we don't fill out paperwork. I do all of those things. I'm saying where is our priority of prayer? We, what we're saying is, I'm going to do everything in my own power to fix this problem. And I think the virus has showed a whole lot of us, these problems are out of our control to fix. We're not as strong as we thought we were. I don't care who the we is, going all the way up to the top levels of our government, of those in our health departments, and all of that, in, in universities, and in schools, and in businesses, and CEOs. This thing is beyond our power. And, and, and by the way, the Bible says without him we can do nothing. Really, everything is beyond our power. We to be going to God. Would you help me have wisdom here to raise that, that family? Would you give me wisdom here in, that, in, that, in my employment, in that work? Would you give me wisdom there how to deal with this, with that, that other believer, that other Christian? Prayer, prayer, prayer. Years later, Peter, the one who was delivered because of prayer, he would write in the book that he wrote, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, he would say, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The, I'll have Janine come at this time. We're almost done. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Listen to this. His ears are open unto their prayers. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. His ears are open to our prayers. I'm going to ask Janine, and guys, if you want to maybe try to find real quick, if not, I think it's in, in the hymnal there. We, what a friend we have in Jesus. I want us to sing that together, and we'll wrap this up in about five minutes. But as I was studying that, and I was looking at this, this, um, this um, uh, passage, this song kept coming to mind. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Listen to this. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Here it is. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I've got one more thought for us after this song, but I want you to sing these three stanzas and think about it. How are we doing in praying? Do we really believe God hears our prayers? If so, we would pray more. Let's sing that together. And what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Think about these words. And oh, what peace we often fall. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because, all because we do not carry every are you missing some peace says oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear that second stanza have we trials and temptations sing it have we trials and temptations and is there trouble anywhere we should never be discouraged we should never be discouraged and take it to the lord in prayer can 
can we find a friend so faithful who will all our song Jesus knows our every weakness Jesus knows our every weakness last stanza are we weak and heavy laden cumbered with a load of care. Do we have that one there, guys? If not, I'll just give you the words as we go. It starts, are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? That's the one we'll sing. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Cumbered with a load of care. Precious Savior, still our refuge. Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer, and do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee, in his arms, he'll take and shield thee, thou will find a solace. Church family, this week, before we plan, let's pray. Before we post, let's pray. Before we protest against the person we disagree with, let's pray. Before we criticize, let's pray. Before we question God, let's pray. Before we get discouraged, let's pray. Dr. Alan Redpath often said, let's keep our chins up and our knees down. We're on the victory side. What was he saying? Be encouraged. God hears our prayers. I said, be encouraged. God is never surprised by our heartaches. Be encouraged. God sees our trials. Be encouraged. God hears our prayers. And then we're done. Number four, be encouraged. God honors our little faith. Notice I didn't say God honors our great faith. I didn't say God honors our big faith. I didn't say God honors our perfect faith. I said God honors our little faith. These, these disciples had so much faith in God that they stayed up and prayed without ceasing day and night. And they had so little faith in God. When God answered their prayer, they didn't open the door. It said it there in verse 15. They said unto her, thou art mad, you're crazy. But she constantly affirmed, then said they, it is his angel. The answer in their prayers was to their prayers was standing at the door, but they didn't have enough faith to open the door and let them in. It reminds me, the Bible says, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That rhetorical question, or that, that statement, I'm sorry, that we say, God can. And then we wonder, can God? We love you, Moses, for delivering us out of Egypt in bondage. We hate you, Moses, you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. Faith. Unbelief. Fear. Their faith, by the way, their faith led to human reasoning. Maybe it's his angel. Why would an angel, if you just think about it, why would an angel bother to knock? He could have walked right in. But it's a reminder that even if you have good theology, your good theology plus unbelief can often lead to fear and confusion. We might have good theology. God is in control of all of this. But if we have unbelief, I don't think this one's too big. I've never been in a worldwide pandemic. This one's too big for us. I've never lost my job before. I've never seen my, my life savings go up in smoke. This, I believe that God 
God exists, but my unbelief that God can work, can bring me through this leads us to fear and confusion. That's what happened there. Good theology. It might be Peter's angel. That was good theology. It could have been, but their good theology plus their unbelief led them to fear and confusion. They believed enough to pray night and day for a week. They didn't believe enough to open the door when the answer came. The greatest of faith among us is weak in faith at times. I read a statistic, the average pastor will leave their church over an average of seven critics. The one that gets up and prays and says, trust God when you face opposition. Trust God when the hard times come. God can see us through. And according to whatever study that that was that I read, that pastor gets seven critics and it'll discourage him enough. God must be done with me here. None of us, none of us are above fear and doubt in the midst of trials. But here's my message, and we, today was really a lot of introduction to lay the foundation for the next couple weeks, understanding this story. But here's the message. This week, with whatever you're facing, be encouraged. Whatever heartaches you have right now didn't surprise God. He told James about a decade before, you're going to drink the cup I drank. Be encouraged. God is never surprised by our hurts. Be encouraged. God sees our trials. He knows where you are. Be encouraged. God hears our prayer. And I like this. Be encouraged. God honors our little faith. Well, I don't have as much faith as that one. I'm weak in my faith. Peter's here. No, he's not. God answered your prayer. No, he didn't. God delivered Peter. I'm telling you, I heard his voice. You're crazy. Maybe his angel. Maybe it's the middle of the night. Maybe you're, you're daydreaming. It's not Peter. Those were the disciples that walk with Jesus day by day. God honors our little faith. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Just a moment, I'll pray, and we have what we call an invitation. We're just inviting you to reflect on what you've heard and to respond to what you've heard. If God has spoken to your heart and maybe you want to come and give that heartache to the Lord and, and you want, God, I said, God, here's our prayers. There's a special need in your life you want to pray about and you can come forward and if you'd like someone to pray with you, we'd be honored to do that. Maybe you have some questions about what it means to be a person of faith, to place your faith and trust in Christ alone as Savior. We'd invite you to slide out of your seat and let one of our pastors take God's word and show you what it means to be a person of faith. It takes faith as a little child, the Bible says, to become a Christian, to place your faith and trust in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins. Today could be the day when you place your faith and trust and you pass from death unto life. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.